Hey listeners, Adam O'Donnell here. Today I interview Matt Dana, the CEO of Boulevard. They just raised $70 million. They did it in six weeks. Several funds passed. I'd get calls from the partner after saying like, we haven't written a check at all this year. They're like, we're just so focused on like making sure our current companies are good to go and can ride this out. This is unfortunately a consistent pattern and he spent an incredible amount of time with investors. It did take about 250 or 300 meetings across about 40 different funds. One In one day, I had 13 pitches. Another key difference with the amount of people from the investor on the call. This of course led to a lot more work on his end. They required many meetings and had many follow-up requests. And so the lift was significant. Going in, if you do plan to fundraise during this downturn, which I would recommend you don't, but if you do like really make sure you have your data room in a great spot, like you have your cohorts, like all the normal things that you need and get ready for a lot of data requests. Overall, it worked out for Matt. He was able to raise $70 million, raised over $100 million total, and he had multiple term sheets in this environment. So there is hope. Keep your head down. Keep doing the right things. It will pay off. This is a great episode. You're going to learn a lot. Boom. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, and I'm on a mission to help founders oversubscribe their next round by learning from top VCs and entrepreneurs. We started Boulevard around seven years ago to really help solve what we saw as a consumer problem where there was just a lot of friction and inconvenience when trying to make appointments with businesses that help you look and feel your best. Ultimately ended up learning that the technology supporting them was extremely legacy. We have built uh, what we think is a, a client experience platform and business management software for vertical, for, like we're a vertical SaaS company and it's for all these businesses, salons, spas, barbers, med spas, like you name it, kind of beauty and personal care. This this most recent 70 million that you raised, um, that was yep. announced about a month ago on TechCrunch. Yep. You, you've raised from some of the best VCs in the world, like Index Ventures, Bonfire, Box Group. Um, is there a strategy that you could share that you found was most impactful? And yeah, absolutely. And like we raised in the thick of this downturn, which is was interesting to say the least. But I, I think don't do it until you absolutely have to. I know that people come from different backgrounds and have our you know have each have their own different situations. Um, in my case, my co-founder Sean and I, fortunately, we're like we're execs at our last startup. We had little nest eggs buried away, you know a 401k and everything was able to transition over to Boulevard after we got really excited to start this company um, and really just build this product that um, and so we liquidated our 401ks and each of us wrote checks to the business for working capital um, and we hired a couple folks on that uh, and so we we went all in on this was able to sustain to product market fit and it had paying customers before we went and raised venture capital. And I think that was important for us um, in the long run. We really focused on, like we obsessed over the customer, we obsessed over what, you know, the MVP of the platform needs to be and how do we continue to grow and iterate on that in the most efficient way possible. You know, we were super scrappy. Like I was running payroll in the earliest days and my co-founder was like trying to do the the financials um, and, uh, you know, journal entries and stuff in QuickBooks. And so it was really humble beginnings for sure. Um, and we 
like we wanted to prove to ourselves that we could and this like we lived very unsexy lifestyles um you know ramen noodle type um living and uh we wanted to prove that we could get to our the place where you call it a business where you're actually making revenue um before actually partnering with a VC. If you don't need to take venture capital, don't. Um, and I, I will say that there is this like weird um, validation with venture capital where, you know, as soon as we had um, some folks paying, if like we weren't taken as seriously as a company, even though we were like, quote, profitable on paper. You've built a business where you had some real revenue, you've built a real business, and then you decide to, to start raising money. Um, yeah. If you could tell us once you decided that we needed to start raising money. What was yeah. your first step to begin that? Yeah. Um, so this was, of course, pre-COVID. Um, and so we looked for a local VC. Um, that was important back then, uh, where you wanted to have a, a local VC that you could go in, you know, once or twice a month to their office, you know, get in touch with the, the seed investor. And um, and so we, we joined a, an accelerator in Los Angeles. And then we, um, about a year later, uh, raised our seed round. Mm. Uh, and so it was in both of those. Um, yeah, they were both in LA. Help us with like how you were nurturing investors to be able to get to the series A, B and. For series A, actually, um, so Demir from Index Ventures, uh, he was friends with the accelerator, um, managing director that we joined uh, and would come and swing by uh, the office. And we outstayed our, our like we, part of the the deal with many accelerators is like you get office space or did at the time. Uh, and like, you're supposed to stay like six months. We, I think we ended up staying a year and a half uh, <laughs> and like free rent, let's do this. Um, but Demir would stop by um, and uh, we got acquainted and he would like check in every time he would come visit and like he's you know ask about like the latest progress and we gave him a demo of the platform and this was at, after the point of having paying customers and he's like I'd like to you know have you come up and just meet a couple of folks from uh, the index team long story short that ended up turning into a full pitch meeting it was an entire partner meeting where it's like 12 or 14 folks around the table, uh, kind of blindsided um, and pitched the company, gave a demo of the platform, you know, answered some good questions and and then got a call back from Demir a couple hours later um, asking to, to meet for lunch. Uh, and he extended the offer over lunch. Um, yeah, I, I, it was, it was really amazing. Like the, I didn't for the series A, I didn't have to go through a full fundraise process. Um, and it was nice to, we were basically preempted. I think is wow. what you'd call it. This it is fun. really cool. What I'm hearing is the power of IRL in terms of the trust that you're building, just bumping shoulders yep. with that frequency. So he had already yep. heard about you. Um, help, help us with like, what bring us in the room when you're like, you and your co-founder just, Hey, like he told us, we're going to just meet some people in the office. Like maybe you're expecting to just go shake hands. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, we had right? no expectations. I we definitely like, we came prepared and like with our pitch deck and financial model and like all that. Um, but yeah, definitely wasn't expecting it to be like a partner pitch meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it was the pitch meeting that, that yeah, got you. Slide of hand, that one. <laughs> That's so. How, could you tell us like some of the questions that they asked? Uh, if you could bring us in there just for 
Because I think if that's still enlightening for a lot of founders who haven't been in that situation yet, but yeah. want to get ready for it. Yeah, we we spent a good amount of time on the why in our pitch, um, because that's one of the number one questions. Like, you guys are engineers. Like, why the beauty space, right? Like, why, like, why did you pick this as the problem that you want to solve? And and so we spent a long time on like kind of our founding story um, and you know, really emphasized how they could relate to it. So like, um, you know, kind of anecdotes and things that like, that would resonate with them as individuals, consumers in the, in the market. Uh, and so I think we kind of, you know, handled a lot of those, what would be questions of, you know, why this, you know, cause they're also at, you know, series A, they're looking for founder market fit um, and being engineers, you know, building in the, beauty space um it's could look fishy on paper i guess or look curious um and so other questions were around like market size further monetization plans our go-to-market motion uh, and what like you know our sales team looked like which was uh like me and one other person uh, and so feedback that we're getting from the market um you know things like logo retention and and like it was 100 percent uh, for the first like five or six years of our company. So that was an easy story to say. But yeah, it was just like kind of a lot of the normal questions. And yeah. then there, there was a few that I remember that were really, really insightful. Um, and especially in our market, because it it is very competitive in our space. Um, and there's a lot of uh, incumbents that have been around for a long, long time that have never been able to transcend that like, you know, unicorn status. Um, and so they, you know, we're asking a lot of like, well, what will it take for you to get there? Um, and so I think we laid out a nice vision that they ultimately bought into. Yeah, no doubt. I, one of the points that um, uh, Rajiv Batra from Mayfield made on this podcast was like, what's your unique perspective that is yeah. got to be contrarian because the status quo is always the default in yes. any industry. And, yeah. and why are you uniquely served? To, to work on that or why have you yeah. figured that out <laughs> and, and so it sounds yeah. like they're asking questions around that is there could you share more about how you answered that yeah i mean the answer to that is we're bringing an outsider's perspective into the problem area uh and you know us being engineers and not from the beauty industry like we're we were building what we wanted as consumers as clients of these businesses and we had to, you know, also build all the things that these businesses needed in order to operate their day to day. Um, and being a vertical SaaS platform, like it's not an insignificant amount of product that we did have to build to support them. Um, and but that was our unique insight. We're like, you put the focus. Like, if your business is inconvenient to be a customer of, like you're missing out on revenue. Like that was the fundamental. Uh, belief that we held um, and everyone else that approached and was competing in the market actually had come from industry. Um, and so either their wife owned a salon and like the husband was building software to help power them and that kind of stuff. And they just turned into the incumbents that exist. Um, and so, you know, I think we brought an outsider perspective and then we also, you know, being engineers and product guys, like we could see, you know, opportunities to, you know, at layer in, we had some, you know, very basic machine learning to help optimize the schedule um, and like 
seeing how we could simplify the software, make it super easy to use, uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we they definitely asked about kind of that unique perspective. Can you tell us more about what it was like to raise in this most recent environment? Yeah, there was a lot of focus on business fundamentals, unit economics, like customer payback period, efficiency, like what's your retention? And then like, what's your net revenue retention? Um, and in all of those cases, like we're like A plus, um, where you do really, really well. Our unit economics are, are really great, um, deceptively great because we're a fintech in disguise. That I think set us up for a lot of very successful um, and productive conversations. In this market, it was especially hard because there's funds that straight out like are closed for business right now. Like all of their models are broken in terms of how they underwrite their investments. And like, I don't even know what those models look like, but I, I can imagine that they just make no sense. Um, and the IRRs are negative or something. Several funds passed and like I'd get calls from the partner after sometimes the associate or something and saying like, we haven't written a check at all this year. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, we're just so focused on like making sure our current companies are good to go and can ride this out that we're not really even investing in new companies. And so that's bit, that was a consistent theme. Um, and, but we were fortunate enough to, um, I think in total, like I did take about 250 or 300 meetings across about 40 different funds. Um, and we were fortunate enough to get multiple term sheets, uh, which was amazing. Um, and that's actually something that was a first for us. Um, and we had the optionality uh, to choose who we thought would be the very best partner and uh, really, really ended up falling in love with you know, Eddie from Point72 um, and his vision of our market and how he thought he could support our company. And so um, it was it was a long process. Uh, well, six weeks, I guess it wasn't that long, um, but uh, felt very long, I think, because of all the meetings that we had. Um, I mean, I had one in one day, I had 13 pitches. Um, so it was like 30 minute meetings, like back to back to back. Um, and all these funds, I think one of the things that's interesting compared to previous rounds is all of these funds rolled very deep, like they had a deep bench. It, they had multiple analysts on the call. They had some associates, a VP, like they just had sometimes multiple partners. Um, and there's, they required many meetings and had many follow-up requests. And so the lift was significant. Um, and uh, so I think going in, if you do plan to fundraise during this downturn, which I would recommend you don't, um, but if you do plan to fundraise, uh, like really make sure you have your data room uh, in a great spot. Like you have your cohorts, like all the normal things that you need um, for fundraising. You're obviously your deck um, and get ready for a lot of data requests mm. after your first and second meetings. Mm. That is, that is painstaking. So you're to do 13 pitches and then to have the follow-ups after that you you have a team that's been supporting you. That's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. there was about three of us that were tackling um, all of that, yeah. More so, to the point, you want to have your product where it needs to be. Yes, what, yeah. What yeah. a distraction. Yeah, no, it, was, it completely took over my life for about th three months in total. Uh, mm. Yeah. Man, that is, that is amazing. Well, 
this has been so helpful. I, I appreciate this. Is there, um, is there any like one last piece of advice that you'd like to share with the founder who's maybe about to embark on this journey yeah. or slightly frustrated? They're kind of fearful about where the market is right now. Yeah. Um, I actually think that this, you know, what investors are calling like a capital winter uh, are, I actually think that this could be a really great thing for startups. Um, I think it's helping level the playing field in many ways. And because investors are no longer chasing themes, right? Like, oh, if it has AI or blockchain in it, like you're going to get funded, right? It's, they're now looking at and forced to look at like the fundamentals of the business. And so if you don't have some sexy technology or fit like their, you know, the theme that they were focused on before, um, like I actually think that now good businesses will shine, will have the opportunity to shine. Mm. Uh, and so I think it has leveled the playing fields. Um, and with this time, you know, do whatever you can to just make it through. Um, don't worry about growth rates, right? Just survive more than anything. Um, and you know, with constraints comes creativity, right? Mm. So I, I do think that there's a track record that some of the most valuable businesses that exist right now were started during or started right before previous recessions, mm. uh, and downturns. And those are companies like Adobe and, and stuff like big, big companies. So, um, so I think that the level playing field gives everyone an opportunity. Uh, it's going to be, it won't be fun. Um, you're going to have to make compromises and sacrifices. Um, and I would probably not recommend liquidating your 401k like I did, uh, but, <laughs> um, but just get through, focus on the fundamentals. Don't get distracted you know, really always have that, what's the next biggest milestone in mind and just take it kind of a day, a week, a month at a time. Matt, thank you. Boom. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Top VC Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. Check out my LinkedIn. Always willing to reach out, connect if you have questions, if you want introductions. There's a lot more than just a podcast. Boom. <laughs>